Good morning, everyone. How are you this morning? Wow, what a great last couple beautiful days. Pretty phenomenal. Pretty excited about it. I have a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of words of encouragement up here. Very excited about that. I also have a really special thank you note uh, from Mike Harbour's wife, Mary Jo, and I just want to read it really quickly. Remember, we took up an offering. I brought my old cowboy hat in uh, honor of Mike Harbor, and uh, we filled it up almost a thousand dollars. So that's pretty, pretty awesome. So it says here, dear Pleasant Hill family, thank you so much for your love for Mike. You each have such a special way of loving the individual as Christ does. Mike has so looked. Mike so looked forward to uh, every Oregon family camp and the time that he spent uh, with each of you. He truly considered Pleasant Hill as one of his homes. Mike felt one of his greatest accomplishments was establishing the Wasion congregation through God's perfect timing. Mike was able to facilitate the purchase of the beautiful but aging building where we have met ever since the inception of the local congregation. This past December, the archaic boiler system broke down. The only solution is to complete a new uh, is a complete new system at the cost of over $67,000. As a congregation, we have been working hard to raise as much of this money as possible. So I know with the value uh, much Mike placed on each local congregation, he'd be very humbled with the Pleasant Hill offering going to this necessity. He would be the first to tell you that God has sustained the congregation spiritually and financially. Bill included Mike's favorite scripture, 1 Thessalonians 2.8, uh, on your card. As you know, you are each dear to Mike. This scripture reference is inscribed on his headstone. Thank you again for your very generous offering. Love in Christ, Mary Jo, and the saints at Wasion. So it's a blessing to see how uh, the congregation here is able to touch the lives of others. I also want to thank uh, all of you who've been in prayer for Nicole uh, Topinette. She was immersed into Christ, and I was not able to be there, unfortunately. Technology uh, failed me in that where we were staying, my wife and I, for vacation. Their, their <clears throat> internet wasn't very good, so it was absolutely pulling the last few stubble hairs out, and I was not able to see Nicole immersed. But it was great to see pictures. I have plenty of them. And uh, just as I've seen consistently with those who have a love for God, uh, she had tears of joy when she came up out of the the, uh, the water. So it was pretty awesome. So thank you for your prayers. Also, uh, I reached out to uh, Stas Bulankova. I don't know if you're watching uh, now, Stas, but uh, I really appreciate Stas. He's a really good man. He supported his wife, Anne. And Anne has been my interpreter in helping with uh, um, Nicole. And Stoss asked that we be praying for he and his family, his wife and their two families, his family and, and Anne's family. The challenges they're facing in Belarus are really quite horrific. If you think we have problems with inflation here, it's cakewalk right now for us here. So uh, we need, need to be in prayer for those loved ones and friends in Belarus. I sure would appreciate that. So with that, let's a couple of other announcements that I think are important to be aware of. Uh, this month in April, Sunday evening is a Wednesday evenings, we'll be at uh, Tamara's homestead. And so uh, if you're not sure where that's at, ask Tamara. She'll give you the, the particulars. The college aid study will be going on at the Compton House this week. I heard the party was great down at the Drillingers. Thank you for hosting. And uh, so the party is back at the Compton Place. And we are doing ladies' uh, study this week, right? Okay. All right. And there is a birthday today. There's a couple birthdays today. I was, I was hoping Darren Kendrick, our new brother in Christ, was going to be here. It was going to be pretty fun uh, to uh, sing happy birthday to him. I uh, wished him a happy 39th birthday, and he about jumped across the table and gave me a big hug and kiss. But uh, <laughs> I won't tell you how old he is. You can ask him. But he doesn't look, man, he's he's one good-looking, tough dude, and uh, tell you what, he's aged well, unlike uh, someone like me. Anyway, Carrie Drillinger, 
Happy birthday this coming week. Anybody have a birthday coming up this week besides Dar Darren and, and Carrie? Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay. I was going to remember that, but I'm thank you reminded. Thank, thankfully reminded me. So, Jamie, there you go. <laughs> Here we are. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. All right. So, Emma, I'm going to need your help. I hope you've been exercising. Man, I'm telling you, look at how thick this is. I mean, this is almost as thick as a Bible. Look at that. Here we go. Mr. D, thank you for uh, stepping in whenever you are needed and making time for everything and everyone. And I could say amen to that one. And I got a feeling that looks like a Halstead voice printing, but I don't know which one. Which one? There you go. The, the soon-to-be preacher here at Pleasant Hill. That's good. Uh, Mr. D, your message was amazing. Rockstar, Mr. D, by Ty. There you go. Mr. Logan, I like it when you read prayer meditations. Braxton, there you go. Thanks, Braxton. There you are, the young Mr. Drillinger. I'm sorry, Emma, I should have had you wait. Mr. Logan, I like it when you speak the word of God. Max. <laughs> Uh, better you than me, my dear. <laughs> I'd be winded already. Angie, just because just because she's so cute, her presence always brings a smile to my soul. There you go. <laughs> that's a good one. Oh my goodness, that's awesome. Okay, Emma, here we go. Uh, for all of your labor, uh, you have a wonderful servant's heart. Your smile brightens the room. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. amen. All right. Ty Bragg, you're growing into a young man who loves God and wants to please him. You will accomplish great things for his glory. And I can tell the handwriting, but I think you will too. So there you go. Well, okay, here we go. This is a long one. This is like the book of Hebrews here. <laughs> Jacob, so excited for the young man of faith you are. You are always willing to step in and teach lessons that are awesome when you are able. You are living your life in such a way as to represent the love of Christ and reach others. Keep up the great work. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. 1 Timothy 4.12. All right, great job, Jake. Angie, thank you for all you do from taking care of the plants to your welcoming smile, encouraging hugs. There you go. Another one. All right. Brian and Justine. Did everybody hear Justine's uh, uh, praise this morning? How many heard Justine's praise this morning? Man, if you didn't, you missed a good one. Because I, I was typing it up this morning going, man, that's cool. <laughs> Anyway, if you missed it, go back and listen to it online. That's so sweet. So here's one for you and Brian. Brian and Justine praises for raising such amazing boys with servants' hearts and angel voices. There you go. I love it when they're singing. You should see them back there. It's great. Kirk and Melissa praises for stepping up for the Alvador Church. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah, uh, yeah man. Woohoo! I uh. I'm excited to see the things that will transpire because of your helping out over there, but I sure hate it when you're not around. So there you go. Uh, Bill and Sharon, or Sharon and Bill, sorry. Thank you for your friendship, encouragement, and making Bible study interesting and fun, as well as thought-provoking. There you go. Amen to, for Bill and Sharon. All right. <laughs> Jeffrey. Your lesson today was very encouraging and challenging. Thanks. If you missed his lesson this morning, man, I hate it when preacher asks questions and then you think about the answer and you go, oh, I didn't like that answer. <laughs> so that was a great job, Jeff. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, do we got anything else? Other than, look, 
the calendar. And I love it because everybody signed up for a, a, a date to clean the building. And so we have, we have this really cool one. Uh, there's a T-Rex that's going to be showing up at the end of April. I'm a, kind, of, kind of interesting to see what that's all about. And then the Connor family, new but wonderfully invested, is going to help out. So thank you, Connor family. It's great. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, don't forget to observe Memorial Day. Memorial Day is not the same as Veterans Day. Veterans Day is to be thankful for all those who have served in uh, the armed forces who helped to keep us free. Memorial Day is for those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice. And so my family has consistently uh, gone to Memorial Day observance in the morning. They're usually in the mornings at local cemeteries. And uh, usually the presentations are quite moving. It's important for us to recognize the amazing patriots that have gone on before us that have secured our freedoms and kept us a country united. So I encourage you to do that. Oh, and by the way, more importantly, Jesus Christ rose from the dead and we're celebrating it on the 17th of April. So we'll probably have visitors come out. And also too, the, the Friday before, you, you know he was killed, right? You know that? So, but the Sunday before is when the Pleasant Hill Church cleans up the yard. It's right there, <laughs> right there. It's not written in scripture, it's written on this calendar. So next Sunday, after assembly, if you want to bring some finger food and your work gloves, we're going to go pull weeds and cut things down and poison things, not people, uh, poison things, mow grasses. We're going, to, we're going to do it so that when the visitors come, they don't go, wow, this looks like a ghost town village or something. Other people here. So anyway, that's what we're going to be doing, cleaning up, cleaning up around the old building. Any questions? All right, let's go. And I can't believe what time it is. That's 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 really really cool. That's because it was Logan and me and not Jeff and Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Did everybody hear that? <laughs> For those in, uh, <laughs> it's because Jeff and Brian weren't speaking. It was Scott and Logan. So you know. <laughs> you know, Peter preached long sermons, and so that's okay. All right, it's okay. Um, Barnabas lived great sermons, so that's how we get her done. Hey, turn in your uh, Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. I know that's not in the, the lesson plan, but turn to 2 Corinthians. We're going we're gonna to finish up from our first little series, uh, expository series, on uh, 2 Corinthians and, and chapter 1, verses 3 through uh, 11. But, but I want to just remind us of where we were because we're transitioning into a new series, a new small series and answering a question. And it's really interesting, uh, the question, okay? It's kind of like what uh, our brother Jeff's question was, is how do we... Learn to trust God in times of great challenge and difficulty instead of ourselves. That's a long series title, isn't it? Okay. Really, it could boil down to we need to trust God to provide all good things instead of trusting ourselves. So with that, let's take a look at 2 Corinthians and chapter 1, and you'll see why we're moving to that series of sermons in regards to answering the question, how can we trust God in, in just crazy times? So let's take a look at verse eight, uh, chapter one and verse eight. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our affliction, which came upon us in Asia, uh, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, uh, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. We have brethren in the country of Ukraine. I met this last week two really good brothers 
And then I have video and pictures of some other good brothers and sisters in Christ there in a city near the border uh, of Ukraine and Poland. And they, they came together, and they were young people. They were in their 20s or 30s, and uh, they immersed Nicole into Christ. And then we've had this running conversation. It's been great. I'm so thankful they could speak English, and they can read it and write it, so we can have this great conversation. It's so sweet when we have, can have fellowship instantaneously, literally instantaneously, within a text. We can have fellowship with a man and a woman, a young couple, who have left because of the war, left uh, Nicopol, which is near Odessa, and they've gone to uh, is I think that's how you say it. And now they're there establishing the church. And we instantaneously started to text back and forth, or Viber back and forth, same thing. Amazing. And he said, you know, please pray for my family because we've, we've had to basically lift up everything and move and some of the families, young families have gone with us who are more flexible. Wow, that's amazing. We're praising God for his deliverance. We're, we're asking that God would continue to, to protect us. That's absolutely like, I can't understand that. Can you get your mind wrapped around that? I can't get my mind wrapped around that. Why? It's because I've never experienced that before. But when I see pictures and I think, you know, those people running around those pictures, some of them are brothers and sisters in Christ possibly. So we need to be praying for them. As it says here in verse 11, you also joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons in Ukraine and in Belarus and in the United States on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. This church body is filled with servants. I am so deeply thankful. Whenever we've had a fundraiser for the orphans and for the work in Belarus, people have come out of the woodwork, whether it actually help or they come out and they buy stuff. It's amazing. It's awesome. And we're just a small country church, and yet we are serving the Lord with hearts that are big on sacrifice for others. And I'm thankful for that. And so, brethren, it's important for us to have the mindset to be prepared by asking ourselves, how can we trust God in the hard times instead of trusting only in ourselves? Now, there are some families in this church body right now that are, are almost self-sufficient. Almost self-sufficient in providing food and resources for their families. And you know who you are. What a great gift that you could give to the brethren. And each one of us has a great gift in, in writing those little notes to encourage and inspire us to excel still more and more in building each other up. And so when we get to the scriptures in today's lesson, I want you to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. How did he do it in the most horrific human experience of any human being? How did he do it? And then listen to the Apostle Peter, who, by the way, himself was, if tradition is correct, was hunted down and crucified upside down. And he requested that because he said he was not worthy to be crucified as his Lord was. Now that's tradition, but we do know that they were all hunted down. <laughs> So the reality for us is, is how do we trust in God when things are way out of our wheelhouse and out of our control? Jesus understood that though he was not in control, his father was. He understood that implicitly. Let's take a look then. Let's take a look at 1 Peter in chapter 2. And we're encouraged by the apostle to look very closely at Jesus so that we can follow his example. Here it is. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. This is for my first point this morning. 
For you have been called for this purpose, Christian, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his footsteps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Point number one, following the example of Christ, the suffering of Christ was absolutely horrific. From a physiological standpoint, if you've been here listening this last month, Brian Bragg, long-winded, but still very engaging. Wow, some of the stuff he talked about in regards to the suffering of Christ. I don't know about you, but when he took that belt and he was whipping the back, in fact, there's a couple scratches here that we need to take out. But anyway, that's almost indicative of what, what it looked like on uh, uh, his back. It says that they, they made furrows on his back. The psalmist says, they, they made furrows on my back. You know what a furrow is? It's where a plow plows up the dirt. Just coming back from Junction City after a Bible study and they were plowing up the sod. Just these big peels of sod pulled up. Well, Jesus Christ went through horrific physical suffering. But I think even more importantly, he went through horrific emotional suffering. Can you imagine a person that you worked with for three years, invested your whole life in that person so that they would carry the message of salvation into the world, and then they're the ones that betray you and turn you over to the hands of godless men, betraying you even with a kiss? That's a, I don't know, have you been betrayed like that before? That is horrific when a, a, a brother or sister in Christ stabbed you in the back and turned you over. That's horrible. And that wasn't the, 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 all of it. The one main guy that was going to carry the message of salvation <laughs> denies you three times when the, when the crush comes. It's like everything you work for. Your whole life you live perfectly. And then at 30 years old, you become the rabbi, the teacher, the Messiah that God has called you to be. And you invest three years every day, night and day, all day long, investing in these 12 men. And then where are they in your darkest hour? They're gone. I don't know about you, but when it says he was all alone, he was all alone. Well, Mary, his mom was there, and so was John. Not for long. John wasn't there for long. You know, he ran away. Moms have to be there, right? The reality is, is he then was filled with the sin of the world when he hung on that cross. You know, all the nastiness that you did and I did, all that nastiness, all the guilt, all the shame, all of the, it was all every human soul's sin poured into his body. And his father rejected him and he paid the full price for your sin. God works outside of time. Jesus hung on that cross for three hours in the pitch darkness and he paid the full price for your sin so you and I wouldn't have to. Talk about in every way, spiritually, emotionally, cognitively, physically, he was tortured to death, both physical and spiritual. Now, I'll have to share with you, I don't understand it. I see it, I believe it, and he lived it as a human being. And so whatever comes my way, if I have that mindset that he made it through, then I can too. But I have to do that by faith. But his example is what we must follow, not his example of sinlessness only. Notice verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. You know what I've heard from people? This is a new creation verse, meaning Jesus lives sinlessly and so can we. Well, I would agree that it's possible for us to say no to sin and yes to God every single moment. I agree with that. But that's not what the example is. 
The example, if you look closely in context, the example is his being able to bear up and go through it and accomplish God's will. Remember when he was in the garden? Sweating drops of blood because he knew what was coming? Remember he said, not my will, Father. There's any other way to take care of the humanity's mess? Let's do it that way. But if there is no other way, I'll go ahead and I'll do it. But not my will, but thine be done. I'll tell you about a powerful man. So the reality is, as we take a look at Jesus' example, it's not about living a holy and blameless life, although that's what we're called to. It's about bearing up under unbearable difficulties. How did he do it? How did Jesus do it? We'll take a look at verse, uh, what is it? 23, I think it is. 23, yes, verse 23. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He kept entrusting himself. We're to follow that example. We're just supposed to trust him in everything and in every way at all time. Now, we have a great opportunity now. Challenges seem to be coming. A little bit more challenges. We have opportunity now to grow in these times of challenges and not say, man, why is God doing this to me? Rather than he's allowed this so that I can grow stronger for tomorrow. That's the right mindset. Remember, we're supposed to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith, probing to see if it's really solid, the testing of our faith will produce endurance. And that endurance will be a huge blessing in the future. Brethren, it's important then for us to say, how did he do it? How did he entrust himself to him who judges righteously? I looked up that word entrusted. In the King James, if you have a King James, it's the word committed. Committed. And here's the word. It means to surrender or yield, to surrender, uh, to surrender, yield up, or entrust a thing of great value to another person. To entrust something of great value to another person. Well, what did Jesus Christ entrust to another person? He entrusted his life and his future to his father. Not my will, but thine did it. How did Jesus know what was going to happen to him? Do you know? The scripture. The scripture. The Old Testament. The Old Testament, by the way, in Psalms chapter 22, actually says and describes the cross. Jesus knew exactly what was coming just a few hours from his time of prayer. He knew exactly what was coming. Have you read Psalms 22 lately? He knew exactly he was going to be crucified, nailed in his hands and his feet. He was going to be stripped naked. His clothes were going to be to be uh, uh, traded off and then his coat was going to be gambled for by Lot. He knew that he was going to be pierced through by a Roman sword or a Roman spear. He knew that. But he also knew something else. He knew that his God had promised that he would raise him up from the dead the third day. That's all found, by the way, in Psalms 22. But the answer, are you ready? The answer of how he was able to power through when he was alive until that last breath. You know what his last words were? Do you remember? Three words. It is finished. My work on earth and being the sin bearer is finished. Now his work wasn't done yet. He still needed to set the captives free, the Old Testament captives, bring them back up into heaven. He led captive a host of captives. How many remember the scriptures in the book of Matthew? When Jesus Christ breathed his last and the temple Curtain in the temple, the Holy of Holies, 30 feet high, ripped from top to bottom. 30 feet high. No one had a ladder in there. It was God ripped it open and said, guess what? Access to heaven is now 
open because Jesus paid your way. But you know what also is cool? Is when that, that temple uh, curtain was ripped open, then the, the grave opened up for all those faithful Old Testament folks. Why? Because Jesus went to paradise and preached freedom because he paid for all their sins. And you know what? When Jesus was raised from the dead, who came forth from the tombs? All those Old Testament faithfuls. And it says they wandered around in Jerusalem. Wouldn't that freak people out? <laughs> well, there's David. <laughs> oh, Moses. <laughs> it would be great. That actually happened. That's what the scripture says. It's important for us to understand that Jesus was willing to go to the cross, through the cross, into the grave, out of the grave, and into heaven because of what we're about to read. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 22. Psalms 22. This is a psalm that's not a prophecy. It's just the psalmist recording what Jesus said on the cross. Psalm uh, chapter 22. And, and many of you are familiar with this. But the first five verses are profound, and it really does help us to begin answer the question, how did Jesus do it? How did he do it? Well, let's take a look. Chapter 22 of Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. You know, when Jesus said that, you're saying, well, he didn't say that in the New Testament. That's exactly what he's saying in his heart. Have you ever talked to yourself? How many have ever talked to yourself before? If you don't raise your hand, you're insane. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Everybody talks to themselves. It's what you say that might be the thing that causes you to be insane. But God here is speaking about his relationship with his God. And notice what he says there in, in verse uh, 3, you are holy. Now, is someone who lies holy? Yes or no? No. God can't lie. If someone makes a promise and breaks that promise, is he or she holy? What's the answer? No. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. God said, I will raise you up on the third day. So when Jesus says this in his heart, yet I am fearful. I don't see any deliverance. I know that this is unto death eternal. He paid the full price for your sin, right? If you paid for it, what would it be? Eternity in the lake of fire. How'd he do it? God only knows. But God works outside of time. Could he package eternity in a moment of time? Absolutely he could. So on that cross, during those three hours of darkness, that's when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so brethren, he says here, yet you are holy, O God. And now verse four and five, are you ready? Listen to verse four and five. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To them they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Jesus looked back to the Old Testament and he saw how consistently God made a promise and followed through. Made a promise, followed through. Made a promise, followed through. Without missing a heartbeat. He was absolutely perfect in fulfilling all of his promises. And so Jesus is saying here, in you, Father, or in you, O Lord, our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. He says, I know you're going to deliver me. He had to be saying that to himself on the cross. He could have called down, as Brian said, how many? 72,000 angels or something like that. But he didn't, because he knew that God had promised that he would deliver him from death. Deliver him from the grave. Raise him and seat him at the right hand. Now here's the question, brethren. Do you believe that God will do that for you? Do you believe there's a God? Do you believe that God is going to raise you from the dead? 
Do you believe that you're going to stand before King Jesus and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into your rest? And are you doing something about it right now? Are you in times of difficulty going, man, I just, I hate this stuff. Why are you doing this to me, Lord? Or are you saying, well, I don't fully understand why this is all happening, but it's given me an opportunity to choose to trust him knowing that he's got my future secure. We could do that, couldn't we? So I just gave you a little bit of where we're going to go, but I want to go now to point number two. Point number two, turn the page in your little note sheet there and turn to 1 Peter in chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. It's not the same exact word, but it has the same meaning. And so 1 Peter in chapter 4. Take a look, and I want to read it in context because it's about suffering that Christians go through. By the way, you know why Peter wrote 1 Peter to all the Christians in Asia Minor, that's where it was. Because they were about to go through a horrific persecution. Just like the book of Hebrews was written for those Jewish Christians, because they were going to go through a horrific persecution. How many have ever read the book, uh, book Fox's Book of Martyrs? How many have ever read that book? Okay, There are some pretty nasty, nasty ways that... Uh, people of faith were killed. And yet, as we read those, and there's actual written testimony about some of the great saints in the dark ages who, in great victory, as they're being burned at the stake, raising their hands up, victory in Jesus. Wow, that's powerful. They couldn't speak anymore as they were proclaiming the gospel as the fires began and then as the fires brought them to a point where they could not breathe anymore. Victory in Jesus. And then they met their maker in victory. That's powerful. Brethren, listen very carefully to what the Apostle Peter says here. To the brethren who were about to go through great persecution. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, that's in the last day, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or, or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but he is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for the judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Now verse 19. Pause for dramatic effect. Now verse 19. Therefore those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And we look to Jesus to see what's right. All the way along, once he was taken into custody, he blessed people and he blessed people and he blessed people and he blessed people, although he was in great pain, emotional, cognitively, physical, spiritually, but he was a blessing, he was a blessing, he was a blessing. Amen? Go back and read it. That's who we're supposed to look to. That's God's will. So let's take a look at our notes. Beloved, do not be surprised. Well, I give you a verse there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, we in the United States have experienced very minimal, very minimal. We really haven't been persecuted. If someone calls us an idiot because we're a Christian, we go, whoa. Well, 
Maybe I should speak of myself. When I was a young Christian, it was tough because remember my love language is words of encouragement. So when someone says, speaks evil about me or to me, it crushes me. And so it crushed me. So it kind of want you want to shut down. I'm thankful that I've grown a little bit and I don't shut down anymore. But notice, beloved, don't be surprised. It's coming. And it may not be in our lifetime. Let's build our kids so they'll carry the faith through to the, to the end. Notice it says, uh, to be to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, what? Rejoice. To the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, rejoice. That, are you ready, is a mindset change. You know what the human mindset is when pain comes or suffering or difficulty comes? What's the typical human mindset? Man, where's the exit? Get me out of here, man. I'm out. That's the normal human response. It is. That's just normal. I hate pain. I hate suffering. I got this, this, this quote from uh, Theodore Roosevelt. And uh, I didn't bring it with me, but if I read it, you'd be going, man, that guy had a morbid sense of accomplishment. He talked about bearing up and powering through the grievous pain. If you know anything about the history of Theodore Roosevelt, amazing man, amazing man. There was no way he should have done what he did as a child. He was frail. He was sickly. He was the runt. And his father just kind of cast him away. And he just had to just get her done. Now, I don't know if he's Christian or not, but the reality is, when he talks about that, he had to just work through horrible, horrible disadvantage. And look what happened. One of the ones that, well, Brian Bragg was quoting him, quoting him all last month. He got in the arena, even though he had every excuse not to. That's what this thing is, is to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, have a different mindset. Consider all joy when you encounter various trials, especially now when it's easy to overcome them. When it's easy to go, Lord, okay, help me. Give me what I need. Maybe a brother or sister in Christ could help me. Maybe they got some ideas on what I could do. And I know, I know the brethren here would be willing to step up and help. Might even put their hand to the plow with you. That's kind of the folks we have here, and I praise God for that. Now, the next one says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, if anyone suffers as a Christian, hey man, when you stand up and are counted, especially in this day, and I think in more so in the days to come, when you stand up and are counted, they'll take note of you. So it's important for us to recognize it's okay for them to speak badly and to treat you badly. Well, look at the next few verses, and I want you to do this on your own. Matthew 5, 11 and 10, 22. You should rejoice that your life is such that they can tell you're a Christian. I remember this uh, saying, and it was before Facebook. It was before memes. The statement went something like this. If you, are on, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you are on trial for being a Christian today, is there enough evidence to convict you? Wow. Then that, that was before Facebook. And of course, I haven't seen her on Facebook. That's not one of those you want to post. But the reality is, is wow, that's a powerful statement, isn't it? Well, like you ask yourself that question. Have I lived such a life that if, if the witnesses came and started saying all this thing about me and it were true, wouldn't you be convicted of being a Christian? You have to answer that. I can't answer that for you. But the reality is, do not be ashamed. If anyone suffers as a Christian, glory in that name. Now, suffering according to the will of God. Do you believe that God is going to let anything happen to you? You think the devil is smarter than God and he's going to outwit God and he's going to get something in there? Well, tell me about Job. You know anything about Job? God allowed Job 
to wipe Job's everything except for him out. Well, except for his wife. <laughs> she was kept intact. So, but you know, then Satan goes, you know what? Of course, Job would not curse you to your face. Skin for skin, let me touch him in his body and then he'll curse you to your face. God said, okay, I know he can handle it. You just don't kill him. And Job did not curse God to his face. He stayed faithful all the way to the end. He was perplexed, like Paul, but not despairing. For he knew from whence his power, his life, and all that he had came from. His health, his breath, his wealth, his children, all of those were a gift of God, and God had allowed those to be taken away. And he says, you know what? I'm going to remain faithful. I'm on my way to heaven. I think Job is a great example that we should look to. Amen? That's important. But Jesus is even more important as one to look to. Look at this last part, verse 19. Let's read it again. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, those who also suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. I looked up the word entrust there. In the King James, again, it means to commit. Literally, it means to deposit as a trust for protection. I sent a, 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 a ring to my sister, my mom's, my mom's wedding ring. And I've kept it in trust. And then I sent it. And I said, make sure you put this in a safety deposit box. Why? Why did I tell her to put mom's wedding ring in a safety deposit? Unless she was going to put it on her finger. And that wasn't her intent. Why did I tell her to do that? For protection. For safety. So that it would not be taken away by some scoundrel. Right? Well, this is literally to deposit as a trust or protection. To commend yourself to another person for protection, safety, and deliverance. Who are we supposed to, to give ourselves to to protect us in every moment, in every way? Who? Well, the Lord. Look at 2 Timothy. Turn there with me, would you not? 2 Timothy and, and chapter 1. Listen to this passage of scripture. It is amazing. Uh, we really do need to, to own this verse. I want you to read verse 12 with me. Verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things. For I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard that which I entrusted to him until that day. Can we say that? And is it the truth? For this reason, I also suffer these things. He's talking about all of the suffering that comes along with being a Christian. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until that day. There's been so, some horrific things that have happened in my life since becoming a Christian. And I know there's been some really horrific things that have happened in many of your lives, because I know many of your lives. But we've remained faithful but we haven't breathed our last or we haven't seen the Lord break through the clouds yet. And so we need to continue to press forward and give ourselves fully entrusted to our King. But how do we do that? I'm glad you told me I need to do that, preacher, but how do we do that? That's where we're going, answering the question, how? Because just as Jesus entrusted himself and is seated at the right hand of God, 
just as you and I have for those who are Christians, have trusted him enough to say, okay, I'm going to step into this new life knowing that you'd be seated with him in the heavenly places. Because in baptism, you're crucified, you're buried, you're raised. So people can see the new life of Christ as you're seated with him in glory. But we're not home yet. Faith has not become sight. And until that day, we need to entrust our lives completely to him. And so the next several lessons that we'll do are designed to help us to understand how to do that. And Jeff did not know that that was my plan for the next series coming off of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But Jeff, if you were here this morning, is talking about how to get in the fight, how to get in the arena, how to get that life of Christ really moving. Mine's a little bit different. How can we trust in God even in the hard times? But both series of lessons on how to get it done, man, April is the month. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, I would ask in your son's name, Jesus, that you would help us to realize there really is great power in trusting you in everything. Father, when there's worry, that's an indication we're not trusting you. When there's fear, that's an indication we're not trusting you. When there's perplexity, frustration, and anger, that's a good indication that we're not trusting you. Father, I pray that you would help us to realize first that those are indications that we individually need to work on our hearts and develop the trust in you. But how to do that? I pray that I'd be able to share lessons that are very clear and concise and practical on how to build trust in our great God and King Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, let's get all excited. Let's stand and what did Jesus say to do? He said to go. Well, let's try that again. Okay. I heard the brag boys over everybody. Are you ready? What did Jesus say to do? He said to go. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is still the King of Kings. King of Kings. All right, you guys, fight the good fight this week. Get in the arena. Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.